1: Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with a return guest, Dan Snyder. Dan is the Director of Government Contracts Analysis at Bloomberg Government. Dan, welcome back to the show, man. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you, Mark. Always good to have you. Um, So I asked Dan to queue up a bunch of contracts that are coming down the pike in the latter half of 2020, both the uh, calendar year and the FY. So uh, Dan, give a, uh, for the few people who don't know you or Bigo, give a, a short background please.
0: Thank you very much. Um, so my name is Dan Snyder. I uh, cover the government contracts analysis at Bloomberg Government. Um, And we are discussing today the items that are listed on our top 20 um, opportunities. So we have a portfolio of contracts that we monitor throughout the year um, that are coming up for competition. So this is by definition, all of the actionable bids that have not yet released an RFP. Um, And as you mentioned, uh, we're, we're focusing on what's eligible for bid. Uh, towards the end of the fiscal year, and then we've got some other exciting ones towards the end of the calendar year, including CIO SP4. Uh, But the list itself, just to uh, crystallize things for our listeners, um, it excludes any of the defense weapon systems and includes uh, only professional services and information technology uh, opportunities for federal contractors. And the reason we focus on that segment is because we interpret that area to be a little bit more competitive. The defense weapon systems are probably baked in somewhat uh, in terms of who's going to compete for those. Uh, But we consider the items on this list to be much more competitive. Almost always a multiple award contract competed through task orders in the
1: future. Cool. I like the way you explain that. And Bloomberg provides exactly what?
0: Uh, we are a market research firm, so we uh, provide strategic and business development assistance to government contractors. So uh, we've got a spending analysis through our contracts intelligence tool to do some research uh, in areas uh, such as uh, doing your your prerequisites when considering if you want to bid on any of these opportunities, uh, and then we've got a great tool to track opportunities as well to uh, bid and share that with your colleagues when you're considering what is in the pipeline, what's outside the pipeline, what's a what's a maybe. Uh, so we've got some workflow tools to assist in those endeavors. And then my team uh, focuses on uh, things like agency profiles, contract profiles, and helping clients understand which opportunities to bid on.
1: Cool. All right. So let's jump right into this. Let's start with uh, uh, the U.S. Navy.
0: Yes. So the the U.S. Navy that's uh, that's actually one that is kind of far off past uh, this fiscal year, right? Um, but is listed on our opportunity list the Seaport NXG uh, on ramps. So of course, Seaport has been lo- around for decades now, uh, but we are listing that as a, as an opportunity uh, coming up for bid. The, the the Navy has confirmed competition for that contract to take place in January 2021. Uh, That will be coming up for bid. They've got about uh, between 17 and 1800 current contractors that are performing on that uh, that were awarded I believe in December 2019 and they're looking to augment that number and they're going to add some new bidders. So a tremendous vehicle if you are a professional services provider. Uh, about $5 billion in spending obligation flowing through that massive professional services vehicle. If you're not among the 1,700 already, highly advisable to take a look at that one come January and do your bid prep right now to be in a position to bid that on-ramp.
1: Which is exactly why I wanted to bring it up. Do start your prep now because even now it's not late, but if you start in November, you're, you're probably not going to, Get there um,
0: exactly, and you've got all the tools in your toolkit here to to understand what the bid's going to take. Right, the solicitation's yeah. out, so you've got the evaluation. You know what it takes because they've already awarded some contracts. So, uh, in, in terms of a yes/no, that's as clearly defined as it will get if you want to approach that one in, in uh, January.
1: Right. the uh, The next one comes out of of GSA, and I, I found it kind of amusing that uh, it seemed to surprise everybody that it capped out. So we're talking about 8A Stars 3 coming down the pike very soon.
0: So that is probably the most attractive opportunity that we are currently following on the list of 20. And the reason I'll say uh, it is the most attractive is because it's the highest value. Uh, Similar to Seaport NXG, it carries a $50 billion ceiling. Uh, So that $50 billion, as you mentioned, is an uptick from the current $22 billion, which was just increased from the previous $15 billion. So uh, they're climbing that ladder very quickly to get to that $50 billion and certainly creating a cushion where they don't have to uh, put themselves in a position to increase the ceiling. I think $50 billion will give them plenty of capacity to compete that. The second reason I would say it is attractive is because of the number of bidders that it's going to provide as well, right? So it's exclusively for 8A small businesses. So you got to be an 8A to get on. Um, but we've got upwards of seven to 800 contract holders on that vehicle. Um, so uh, if you are an 8A, this is kind of a must-have vehicle if you're going to perform in the upper echelon with your federal government agencies.
1: Traditionally, 8A STARS also has a somewhat regular on ramp. Is that accurate? They do.
0: I uh, don't know if the on ramp has been uh, clarified right now for STARS 3, but I, I, I would certainly anticipate, just given the nature of the vehicle and s- small businesses growing out of that socioeconomic classification, they're gonna onboard off ramp throughout the period of performance. Uh, quite frequently. Uh, but as it stands right now, $50 billion vehicle and, and the, the barrier to entry is quite low. There's no scorecard evaluation, as we've seen on many of these other government-wide acquisition contracts. So uh, if you meet the threshold for uh, past performance uh, and can bid on that, the outlook for the number of slots on that should be close to a uh, what, what we have on 8A STARS too, which is at least between 700 and 800 contract holders.
1: Right, and if you're an 8A IT vendor, this is a must-own vehicle.
0: I would say so. It's certainly the silver bullet uh, that's going to uh, provide an abundance of 8A opportunities. Now, there will be some competitive opportunities, obviously, that the government agencies compete, but this one w- would put you in a position far better positioned among your competitors if you do have a slot on this vehicle to compete for uh, the billions that are going to flow through that vehicle um, once it is awarded. And 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 a, a, another note I'll say about that is GSA really did a tremendous job in getting the RFP out. We didn't know when it was going to happen, if it was going to fall uh, before September 30th, uh, and they increased the ceiling, and then about a month later dropped the RFP. So Uh, Everything came together uh, rather quickly, and contractors who are considering a bid on that have until about another month to finalize those details before bids come due on August uh, 19th.
1: Cool. Let's do one more before we break. It's one of my favorites, CIO SP4 out of NITAC.
0: Yes. Um, So it's one of my favorites as well. Uh, Again, not only because of the huge price tag, but I I kind of much enjoy the scorecard methodology and the competitive nature that it brings along with it. Um, So CIO or Nytac out of HHS is competing the fourth iteration of their tremendously successful vehicle known as CIO SP. Some changes from the predecessor vehicle, as I mentioned the evaluation in comparison to when it was computed last in 2012. This time around, they're going to use a scorecard methodology. So that is out of 10,000 points that contractors will be evaluated on for a slot on this vehicle. Overall, I believe it's in the in the neighborhood of about 75 to 125 that will go to large businesses and then they're looking to award about uh, 300 or so to small businesses, Um, but they're going to be mixed in together. Unlike the predecessor vehicle, which had two separate vehicles for uh, unrestricted and small business, this will be uh, combined into one, which kind of justifies uh, their ceiling of 40 billion. Previously, it was 20 and 20, on the unrestricted and small, uh, they're bundling those together, which gives us the $40 billion uh, for CIO SP4. And that one's a little bit further on the horizon than uh, what is expected to be competed in fiscal 2020. And they're estimating drop of an RFP come uh, December. So Q1 of 2021, you can anticipate uh, to have further action on that. But again, the agency has done a tremendous amount of acquisition planning. I don't anticipate a lot to change in the final RFP uh, beyond the details that we have currently in a draft RFP. Uh, They've got the scorecard now down with the 10,000 points in a very comprehensive draft RFP. So similar to that conversation that we were saying, putting your bid and proposal, resources, evaluating what you want to pursue in the future, You've got all the information at your disposal to make a decision on this one.
1: Cool. We're going to take a quick break. uh, Before we move on, you're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm talking today to Dan Snyder of Bloomberg Government. You can find Dan on LinkedIn, and you can find Bloomberg at – give me the website, please.
0: www.bgov.com,
1: B-G-O-V. There you go. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Dan Snyder of Bloomberg Government, and we're talking about contracts coming down the pike this FY and the beginning of the next FY as late as uh, January, February timeframe. Next on the list is the Air Force Training Systems Acquisition, TSA-4. This is the fourth iteration.
0: It is, yes. Um, so, this is a, a training contract for weapon systems out of the Air Force. Uh, huge price tag, $25 billion. Uh, but that comes with a slight caveat. So, the spending obligations on the current fourth iteration are between one and two billion. And it's still got a performance period that I think goes until about 2022. Um, so while that ceiling value is always going to be attractive, looking at $25 billion, relative to the spending obligations, that might be a bit of a bridge. Uh, but nonetheless, um, still an attractive multiple award contract, as I said, training for weapon systems. So that's going to be uh, a lot of the simulation in, in the bases down in Florida. And on the current vehicle, it's uh, a lot of the contractors that you would expect. Uh, Lockheed, Boeing, uh, L3, Harris are currently uh, performing at the top of that list. Moving forward on the next one, I think they're going to try to expand some of the small business uh, participation, but given the complexity of the orders, uh, it might be difficult for small businesses to succeed on this one.
1: Yeah, we're talking about some pretty sophisticated systems. So um, exactly. it'd be nice if they tried, but I, I don't expect uh, to dislodge any of the uh, the majors.
0: Yeah, I, they will have a slot. I think there still be will be 25 slots on the $25 billion vehicle. But the more lucrative orders, once we get into the task order competition, are probably going to be directed to those large systems integrators.
1: Right. Our next contract is, uh, again one of my favorites, and it's, uh, it's been in the news lately for different reasons. We're talking about GSA's Alliant to for small business.
0: Yes. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I, I, can, I can sense the criticism even listing this as an opportunity because uh, people are still a little hot under the collar from the cancellation. It's a great vehicle. If it died, I think a lot of people would be sad.
1: Sad is an understatement, Dan.
0: (laughs) The outlook is still uncertain. So here's the information that we do know, right? It's been tremendously successful uh, since it was established. They were hit with a bunch of challenges and they came out with an announcement, they being General Services Administration, that they're reshuffling their portfolio. Despite those challenges and the competition that has taken place for three to four years now, Emily Murphy came out and had an announcement that a replacement, don't call it a lion, I know we have it listed as lion, but uh, they're going to have a new name, a new look, and something to replace it. So uh, I'm taking Emily Murphy at her word. She's the head of the agency, so it's it's out of the horse's mouth here, and we do think it's a potential to be an opportunity that develops in the next uh, calendar year but we'll keep a close eye on that yeah we'll, could have we'll have you
1: back. back when when news breaks on that because that's been a staple for a lot of companies in the uh, in the kind of IT services arena
0: absolutely uh, and I, it handles a lot of those leading edge technologies that they have spent such a tremendous time defining Um, So I'm hoping it does succeed. Uh, As I said, a a lot of contractors are frustrated with all of the effort that they put into it. And now they're going to have to do so again if they want to participate. So uh, there may be a lack of enthusiasm, but given a $15 billion that does a tremendous amount of spending obligations and federal agencies have, have a tendency to use it. Uh, I feel like you got you to gotta get back up on the horse if it does come out and bid it again, just because it's that important of a small business vehicle.
1: And it was a best in class. It is. It yeah, is. so, well, was, is. Uh, the next one we're going to talk about doesn't get much press at all uh, from the State Department, the Global Health Next Gen Supply Chain.
0: Yes, Uh, so this is a $14 billion vehicle um, that consolidated uh, a number of existing contracts at the State Department. Um, So the State Department Global Health um, supply chain activities were important before COVID, uh, but I I, I think given the nature of uh, the importance on the supply chain uh, for the healthcare community, this is going to be even more important. And this is going to be managing the operations of the supply chain overall. So not necessarily the logistics of moving the stuff, uh, but having all of the data analysis to track where it's at. So um, certainly an attractive one and and a very important vehicle. I think uh, the requirements of this have a possibility of changing given, as I said, uh, the state of the affairs with the pandemic uh but we're keeping an eye on this one still likelihood of being competed um they've been somewhat quiet they haven't released any details on this acquisition in about 9 to 12 months um but it still uh, is a huge vehicle um uh, that we think will still be competed in the next coming months here
1: okay so possibly before end of fy
0: I would say, so given the delay in any activities, as I said, nine to 12 months, I think it's probably going to push past this fiscal year. Um, yeah. We're listing it as eligible, um, but I wouldn't put a lot of chips on this bid.
1: Okay. I know the next one we're going to talk about is one of your favorites, DSA's Astro.
0: Astro, it's got a cool name, huh? That's not even an acronym, right? They just, that's a code name.
1: <laughs> so. i th- I thought it was a dog on a cartoon, but that's just
0: <laughs> maybe that's what they were going for, but this is cool so i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say I'll start off with uh why it's so intriguing again uh they're applying the scorecard methodology uh but it's got a bit of a curveball in that scorecard methodology uh but let me let me describe exactly what Astro is so it's a multiple award contract out of General Services FedSim, and it's being developed for DoD. So DoD came to GSA and said, we'd like you to set up a vehicle that focuses on research and development around unmanned. Um, So that's unmanned ships, unmanned vehicles. We want more of a pure play vehicle for R&D around these efforts. So FedSim is establishing this vehicle on behalf of DoD. Um, It's got 10 pools with 45 spots per pool.
1: Um,
0: So a lot of contract slots. There's going to be some overlap. Um, It's structured similar to Oasis uh, in that there will be overlap, right? Oasis has six pools. This one's got 10. Uh, So there will be a lot of overlap. Um, Those 10 pools uh, include – Um, some areas uh, such as data operations, mission operations, aircraft, ground vehicles, uh, space vehicles, uh, support um, training. So it really covers the board on everything that you could imagine in terms of training and support and R&D around unmanned. Now, if I can, I want to get back to um, the scorecard methodology, right? So the scorecard's not new. Um, it's been around, as I said, it came uh, first, uh, was introduced with Oasis back in 2014 or so. Uh, and then GSA Alliant followed suit. Uh, and then CIOSP4 also is using the scorecard. Uh, but what's different about Astro is they have what's called this bootstrap bonus, right? So, they don't differentiate between uh, large and small uh, vehicles. They're again lumping all of the companies into one. And to compensate for some of the small businesses that may be at a disadvantage for the scorecard methodology, they put in this curveball for the bootstrap bonus. Um, so, the bootstrap bonus provides a threshold for small and mid tier companies to get an extra boost of between 10 and 15% of their overall score based on the size standards of their past performance. So uh, it has the potential of injecting some of the uh, higher scored companies if you take into consideration this bootstrap bonus. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if it does its job in allowing slots for those smalls and uh, mid tiers. Does that make sense? Did I do an all right job of explaining that?
1: I think you did. So yeah. with that, we're gonna take a break. Um, you're listening to Amtower off center on the Federal News Network. Dan and I will return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with uh with Dan Snyder. This is weird because we're doing this over Ring Central. So Dan and I haven't been face to face in months. And it's always more fun to have them in studio because we get a lot of juice flowing. But with these contracts, it's hard not to get juice flowing regardless of where we are. So next on our list is uh, C2IIS out of DOD. Yes, sir. Um, So this is
0: an interesting one. This is newly established in, uh, I think, around about uh, beginning of June. Uh, the Air Force decided to expand the scope of this acquisition um, and consolidate uh, a number of uh, expiring information uh, systems contracts. Um, So as a result of that, we now have this $8 billion vehicle coming out of the Air Force that will provide uh, an opportunity for mission command and control and, and intelligence information sharing capabilities. So a lot packed into that one name um but it's an interesting vehicle so uh, the the big thing is the the increase of the scope um but we talked about what it is consolidating um the vast majority uh, are going to come from one contract which is general dynamics battlefield information collection exploitation systems contract so that one was a five point three billion dollar ceiling contract, single award, General Dynamics. Um, another contract that they're consolidating under this effort uh, is a 385 million and that's held by Viking Corp. And uh, is the second of the three. And then the last one is uh, about a billion dollar ceiling held by Trace Systems. Um, so they're combining all of those vehicles which gets us round about eight billion dollars. Uh, like I said, the vast majority coming from that single award through GD that the company has generated uh, about just over 400 million of a $5.3 billion ceiling. Um, So they switched up the acquisition strategy. um, And and given uh, the changes, I think this will be an interesting one to keep your eye on.
1: Cool. Now, do you anticipate any movement for smalls here? Or is this this looks like a uh, a major player vehicle with specialties.
0: Yeah, I think it will be very uh, comprehensive in terms of the intelligence sharing, right? I think that's yeah. always going to uh, demand a level of secret clearance that only a small select number of companies likely possess. Um, in terms of an a, an RFP, uh, again, this one's probably going to push past a little the end of the fiscal year, more towards Q1 is when I think you can see some deadlines to begin bidding on this with a final RFP released, probably around Thanksgiving.
1: Okay. What about uh, our our next vehicle is uh, from our friends at Langley, C2E.
0: C2E, yes. So this resembles the JEDI contract uh, in that it will provide uh, a single source cloud platform for the intelligence to acquire um, services. Um, uh, The biggest change, of course, is is they're opting for multiple award as opposed to the single award, JEDI. Uh, But in terms of requirements, uh, size and scope, um, it mirrors JEDI. Really the only difference is that multiple award contract. Big thing with this one is it's likely going to be favored towards uh, the very large businesses your a w s your microsoft general dynamics um, uh, and those types of companies uh h p uh are probably the in an exclusive club uh to bid on this one but um certainly ten billion dollars there's going to be a lot of uh support uh that the small and mid tiers are likely to provide once it is awarded
1: okay one of the, uh, the workhorses in the market is next from DOD, ITES 4H.
0: Yes, um, so we're in our fourth iteration again uh, on, a, on a separate contract. Uh, uh, a lot of these are obviously performing tremendously well amongst the agency customers if they're, if they're getting up to four years old. ITES 4H is no different. That has been hugely successful with the Army. They don't charge fees for the usage, similar to GSA's IFF. Um, There is no fees for uh, the ITES-3S or ITES-3H. And the the Army came along with acquisition planning. So they just held an industry day, um, I believe, June 20th. And they're likely to um, submit a uh, final RFP uh, shortly thereafter. This one has a high likelihood of dropping before the end of the fiscal year. Um, so uh, if you are a hardware provider, the Dells and and, and HPs and, and those type of companies, this is going to be an important one to deliver IT hardware, uh, mostly to the Army, but it's available to some other DOD components.
1: Cool. Yeah. And like you said, you know, this one has been around for a while. So our next one is also from DOD, uh, the C5ISR Gateway.
0: Yes, um, so that is intelligence sharing as well. This one is a contract out of the Defense Logistics Agency, uh, and it will provide uh, commercial and non commercial items and services. Uh, they haven't pegged a precise ceiling on this one quite yet, uh, but the range is between two and five billion. Um, So the primary purpose of the contract, as I said, will be to supply those commercial, non-commercial items. But a large component of that, given that it's DLA, will be to manage the global supply chain. So there's going to be a lot of services that go along uh, with finding a home and and, uh, identifying the location of those items throughout the performance uh, of G2S. Um, And the agency is planning for Uh, multiple awards, uh, though they did say they would consider a single award, um, and and that's based on information from a draft solicitation May 20. Um, So they've got a draft RFP. Again, we think this one has uh, a pretty good chance uh, of a a final RFP being released this summer, but it could slip over into fiscal 2021.
1: Cool. Um, So we have one coming out of state as well. So, uh, and this looks like a hardware gig, IRM IT.
0: Yeah, so the interesting thing about uh, information resource management IT um, is that it is a new vehicle. So a lot of these, as we just said, with the the fourth generation vehicles have been around uh, for a while. Uh, That is not necessarily uh, the case with the State Department contract. Um, For that one, uh, they uh, established a new vehicle to bring their IT hardware management uh, more in-house. So it's relatively new. Uh, We don't have uh, a tremendous amount of vehicles. But the biggest surprise, as I had mentioned before, is that uh, they listed the ceiling value of $5 billion. So that in and of itself uh, is going to attract Uh, a tremendous amount of participation Um, and and given that it's a new requirement uh, doesn't have uh, a favorite or or a bias towards any of the incumbent activity.
1: Okay. Let me ask a different question here. There's so many IT equipment contracts out there, soup, CIO, uh, CS, uh, you know, the ITES vehicles, (laughs) GSA schedules. Why does state need its own?
0: Good question. Um, So to add fuel to that fire, um, you'll remember back in 2016, they said they only wanted these three vehicles, they being OMB, to handle IT hardware purchases. Uh, And that was CIOCS, IT70, uh, and I believe NASA Soup.
1: Soup was the third. or But we've got a lot of
0: these new ones continuing to be in existence. The reason the State Department likely wants to create their own hardware is for security purposes, right? So they've got a lot of international locations that they don't want compromised. So um, the justification for State Department's exclusive use of an IT hardware contract uh, might be uh, a little bit more understood uh, in this scenario, you can kind of understand why you don't want a contract that, that everyone's using domestically, uh, to, to support some of the activities to say, uh, house, you know, a, a a bureau in Russia. So, um, this one's likely going to be established for security reasons. So So would would that limit,
1: would that limit the, uh, the number of vendors? Do you think?
0: Uh, that's a good question. It, it, for the task orders, depending on the work, I think it may be a little more exclusive, but there's also a lot of work domestically that that could be folded under that contract that don't require uh, as stringent security demands. Um, so uh, we'll keep an eye on the number of awards. Um, the government hasn't yet provided an estimate, but uh, I, I would expect it to be in the neighborhood if, uh, if you had to forced me to guess uh, in the neighborhood of probably 15 to 30 that end up with a slot on that view.
1: Okay. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off-Center on the Federal News Network. Dan and I will wrap up right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off-Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Dan Snyder, the uh, Director of Government Contracts Analysis at DGOV bgov.com. You can find Dan Snyder. He lists himself as Daniel Snyder on LinkedIn. Uh, I suggest you you look him up because we're going through some really interesting stuff here. So uh, Dan, we're going to wrap up with uh, three contracts and then, then your uh, overall comments. So let's start with the, uh, the common hardware systems out of ARMY.
0: Yes. Um, So this is another Army IT contract uh, for uh, tactical IT um, hardware. Um, And the interesting thing about this one uh, is that it has been held by General Dynamics as a single vendor uh, throughout all of its existence. So CHS 1 through 5 has always been held Uh, by General Dynamics, and it's possible that is the case again on CHS 6, but there's more of a question mark. So the the Army began acquisition planning on this one back in February, and in doing so, they said that they may be considering a multiple award contract. Um, So General Dynamics, certainly given their position, they they do about three billion in spending obligations. On the four billion dollars ceiling, so this is is certainly one of their single award contracts that contributes to their success in the federal market. If it is opened up uh, to multiple awards, um, it could create a lot more of a competitive nature at the task order level. The vehicle overall does between four and five hundred million a year uh, again for tactical uh i t uh, hardware out of the army so uh, helping the warfighter, and uh, providing those IT hardware uh, components.
1: Okay. Uh, first source out of DHS.
0: First source, yes. That is uh, a vehicle that that was debated whether it would uh, be competed or would remain in existence. Um, Sarah Carrera um, decided that uh, D-Eagle 2 uh, would not be competed and she would divert those orders. Um, to uh, an array of best-in-class vehicles, including IT70, Alliant, and others. At that time, it was also taking a a close look at First Source 3. Inevitably, uh, First Source 3 has survived. Um, It's going to mimic uh, uh, very much what we see with First Source 2. Um, It's gonna have five different pools broken down by socioeconomic category. And this is a pure small business contract delivering IT products, uh, mostly to uh, DHS components. Um, and it's performed re- uh, successfully uh, over the years. It's, it's increased in spending each year it's been around. Um, and that's, that, that puts us at a uh, uh, top out last year of about $800 and in, in, in totality back until 2013. We've got $3.3 billion in spending obligations on First Source 2, uh, likely to continue on First Source 3.
1: And keep in mind that there are, what, 20-plus component agencies of DHS, so there's a, a lot of potential activity here.
0: They need a lot of help, yes.
1: <laughs> All right, we're going to talk about uh, one more contract and then then uh, take a slightly different direction, uh, the BOSS contract out of USPTO.
0: Yes, so this is not an agency that we typically discuss. Uh, patent and trademark information is not necessarily the, the household name that comes to mind when we we're discussing multiple award contracts in the billion dollar range. Uh, Despite that, uh, BOSS uh, has been around uh, since 2016, so they've been trying to get this contract off the ground for several years. Um, And it looks like they've recently done so. Um, So they used a down select back in June, identified 24 companies that will be eligible to bid on the final RFP once it's released. Um, So that includes companies like uh, Boost, General Dynamics, SAIC, and a slew of others that make up these 24 companies, small businesses among them. Um, But they've created this down select of 24 companies that will be eligible to submit a final RFP to then compete for this $2 billion vehicle over the 10 year period of performance that seeks to enhance uh, the time at which patents can be processed. Um, So it's a, it's a, it's a software application uh, that's going to be in play at USPTO to expedite uh, that patent process.
1: Cool. And I'm sure the people who have been waiting for patents would be thrilled to hear that (laughs) uh, and more thrilled to see results. Because you know, the only time we hear about PTO is when somebody in the news says, you know, these patents take nine years to, you know, and <laughs> not the kind of news PTO wants to hear.
0: Yeah. So, so uh, hopefully, all their problems will be solved with this uh, yeah. two billion dollar vehicle.
1: So we we have um, the end of a very strange FY coming up. What what do, what does the final spend look like here?
0: That's a good question. Um, so I'll first say, uh, if we're looking at these contracts, this is the, the, the big picture. There's a lot of important contracts right now. Like this is the peak season of a lot of contracts that will have a tremendous impact in the next 10 years. Um, so it's interesting to have this discussion at this time and be able to talk about all of these new competitions and recompetes that are occurring. If we set that aside and think about the, what the, the here right now in front of us, um, we're looking at uh, about two months that remain in fiscal 2020. And Bloomberg government's analysis pegs that number of spending obligations that are going to occur at about $200 billion. So of the nearly $630 billion that we're forecasting, once fiscal 2020 competes, uh, about a third of that 200 billion uh, is likely to occur in the fourth quarter, um, and it was already an interesting year uh, of increased spending. Uh, and then you you, you put in uh, an additional uh, res- uh, ingredient in this recipe with uh, factoring in the the COVID pandemic, uh, and I think it's going to to really uh, keep contractors on their toes. And uh, finding the opportunities that will be popping up, not only from the CARES Act, but from those increased spending levels that we're anticipating to occur between now and September 30th.
1: And for the beginning of uh, the FY, you know, the situation is not going to change between now and September. I anticipate, you know, major telework continuing, all of this type of thing. So uh, give me your, a little bit of your crystal ball for uh, FY21.
0: Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're exactly correct. I, I, I think in terms of what it means for contractors, uh, I, I, I would certainly anticipate all of your industry days to be taking place virtually. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be s- slowing uh, the output of opportunities that are being released by the federal government as well as the spending. Um, some of these other um, uh, industries uh, are a lot more negatively impacted, but when that happens, the federal government uh, kind of does the opposite to keep the the, the wheels moving forward. And, and we're really seeing that in the output of spending levels and the volume of opportunities uh, that are being released by the federal government. So. Uh, a lot of contractor assistance will be needed to help these federal agencies navigate uh, the pandemic and sustain uh, operations that have been uh, uh, planned uh, before this occurred.
1: Cool. Dan, thank you for keeping your finger on the pulse and for sharing that information with us.
0: Always a pleasure, Mark. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah. Great to have you back, man. We'll, uh, we'll talk about, at least first week of October. Uh, if not before, uh, this is not my day job. I do advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government, with a focus on content marketing, social selling, and leveraging LinkedIn, which oddly enough all happen to work together. So, if that's of interest to you, uh, give me a shout, Mark AmTower at Gmail, and thank you for listening to Dan and I on AmTower Off Center.
0: You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.